everyone. This is Maya's Reviews. Welcome back. And today I have a special guest, Charles Wachter, the author of The Twin Paradox. Hello, everybody. How are you? Um, I'm very excited to chat today. It's not often I get I get fans of the of the book calling, so... Yeah, I was very excited when you reached out because I yeah. loved The Twin Paradox. It's one of my favorite novels. So um, thank you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the first novel in your series, The Twin Paradox, or people who aren't familiar with the novel? Yeah, sorry, that's my little espresso machine. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so The Twin Paradox is like a science thriller with a YA twist. It's got a, a very heavy dose of... Uh, adventure and, and a touch of fantasy, but through the lens of science. Uh, and it tells the story primarily, there's a lot of storylines in the book, but it tells the story primarily of a group of teenagers in Ohio, in Ohio who, they're exceptional, they're at a tough uh, magnet school uh, academically, but um, all of them have sort of complicated families and parents. And at their graduation, they find out they were all part of a surrogacy program for, um, parents looking to have kids and uh, little did they know that the uh, DNA that was used as part of the surrogacy program was DNA from some of the greatest thinkers and intellectuals in history and so there's a, an 18 year old Albert Einstein Einstein and uh, an Isaac Newton who's 14 and there's another one who's 19 or 20 um, and uh, and then the book sort of is about the question of do you get to choose who you are does your DNA create your uh, destiny or is it how you were raised in the specific context? And, you know, I think like most things in life, the answer is both. Um, but um, I put them through the ringer uh, because they uh, are not the first to go through this program. And, and an older Isaac Newton has uh, been playing with a particle accelerator on a remote section of Texas. And they uh, are quickly swept into what is a multinational sort of government conspiracy uh, in an adventure that's told over five days. We play with time and evolution and all sorts of crazy stuff. So I think that's pretty, you know. Yeah, pretty... it is a really good description of the Yeah, novel. it's tough, you know, because there really is a lot. Like just the time yeah. trick in the book is, is uh, was where the book came from. Like mm -hmm. I actually didn't think of the kid. You, you, you wouldn't believe how the kids came about. So yeah. Um, I originally just thought about this place where time traveled at just a different relative mm. speed. So for every three minutes on the outside on this like remote location, 10 years pass. And I thought that was fascinating because you could do 10 years worth of research, 10 years worth of manufacturing. There's no weirdness there. It's just yeah. like anywhere time is relative as we know from Einstein. Um, and I was just sort of obsessed with that idea. And I was going to use Jurassic Park as kind of a rough model for how to make a really violent, vicious, interesting, science-driven adventure, right? Yeah, I thought and it was very scientific and I definitely saw a lot of Jurassic Park in it. That was um, what the novel reminded me of a whole lot. I spent three years, I was an English major at Yale and I spent three years, I, when I decided I want, I came up with this idea of this time thing. I knew that if I just wrote the boat, book would be terrible or, you know, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't have, I knew I needed to learn how to write a book like this. So I actually 
took kind of the same process that I would apply in college to Milton or Chaucer or Shakespeare. And I did the same thing with like a commercial thriller, like Michael Crichton. So I, I studied Jurassic Park and I wrote like a 180 page breakdown of the book. And it literally took me three years. I really, really studied it, how it was written. So a lot of the echoes in the book in terms of how long the adventure takes and sort of the specificity of the adventure came from Michael Crichton. So I was kind of, I'm a big believer if you want to start writing or if you want to write a certain, inside a certain genre, you should look to the books and artists that uh, you admire and, and really study it. Like literally, like how long are his sentences? How often does he make a really long chapter? How, how does he mix science with adventure, with character? You know, and I inherited his flaws as well, to be honest. Like, I got it all warts and all like his books have million POVs. And, you know, these days, the style of these types of books don't tend to be as aggressively multi POV mm-hmm. as they used to be, or at least his, his books were. And so, you know, that's something that some readers have to get used to because it's not just that one POV or two yeah. POV story. So. Yeah. There's definitely but, but, in young adult novels nowadays, there's definitely a lot of, um, like two perspective novels but you don't really see multi-perspective yeah it's like an omniscient my book is an omniscient sort of third person narrator right Mm -hmm. narration so so you basically are in the in the mind of whoever uh whoever whoever you're sort of spending time with and uh and that's a lot of how michael Crichton kind of built his uh mystery and suspense is that you, the reader, can see all these different perspectives. You can see the, the, the doctor who's on the island, not in the Jurassic, not on Isla Nublar. And she sees, she sees one thing and they see another thing. And then this other person, another thing. And then you realize there's a, a sabotage kind of storyline. And so you're, as a reader, putting together this kind of global conspiracy. But there's no one person who sees it all until, which is crazy, in Jurassic Park, the word dinosaur doesn't show up until page 70 mm. no one knows there's dinosaurs there's just yeah. these kids these chemical traces these attacks and things and so and then it's not until the main character alan grant shows up on the island and sees it that the word dinosaur starts actually is actually is actually in the book which i think is really fascinating mm. so uh so i sort of you know i learned a lot from that and uh, and the book was kind of based, but the kids didn't show up until literally the day. I spent another three years outlining my book. And then, uh, I was going to write not a word of lie, Maya. The very first day I was going to start writing the book. The kids did not exist as a character. It was not the main premise of the book at yeah. all. And I was, uh, I had a new writing desk and, uh, I was like, I was about to, it was four in the morning cause I had to write before work. And I was, I was like, oh, I was like, okay, I'll get my, get my coffee. And I would kind of wander over to my kitchen and my, when I had a computer in the kitchen and I'm waiting for the coffee to brew. And I'm like, oh, I'll just check CNN. I'm literally just like procrastinating. <laughs> oh, I'll check CNN. I have not written word one. And I, that morning at that time in the three minutes that I was looking at CNN before my coffee was finished, I read an article that said uh, a dentist had bought Isaac T- Newton's tooth like a news article yeah. and immediately I thought oh that's interesting and then I was like oh that'd be cool I could have like all sorts of people from history but not really people from history because yeah. I got technology that compresses time and so between the compression of the time and the fact they could grow up organically 
in the present day and I could introduce new historical figures quite easily. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, it's fun. Now it ended up proving to be a challenge to the book because it took the book in a more YA direction. Yeah. So it's a YA adult science thriller mix, which some people super dig and other people like they want one or the other. Like some yeah. people want YA and there's too much science and it's too complex. And other people like the hard science and the information mm-hmm. and they don't like the YA aspect. So I find that the, my best readers are smart, intellectual YA readers who really enjoy a good YA story, but they don't mind complexity and adventure and yeah. stuff like that. Like you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Cause I mean, I mean, I haven't talked to many authors, but um, you know, it's interesting to think about how, you know, you had this idea for your story and then you go to writing it. Um, and then all of a sudden you have new ideas that come to the table. So that's really interesting that it was just, I mean, fate that you found the story that inspired you. Yeah. You know, I think, I think writing a novels can be really intimidating. You know, I don't know if you're interested. You you wrote a book. Uh, well, (laughs) I mean, me and my sister, when we were little, would like, you know, start writing books and well, never finish them. I guess for, <laughs> for you and for those who are thinking about writing a novel, what I find really, what I enjoy about it yeah. is that it's um, complex and it takes forever and it's mm-hmm. this thing you can keep coming back to. And I sort of treated it like I was swimming across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I just knew that if I just paddled a little every day or swam mm-hmm. just a bit every day, eventually I'd get to somewhere. You know, and so, um, and that's, that was what, how I treated it. Like I knew I wanted to write a Michael Crichton style thriller and I knew I wanted to, I wanted it to be violent and have a bit of comedy and have, and so I, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to study. And I actually studied for three years in my spare time. I'm a TV producer, right? My spare time, I would just like read a chapter and I'd break it down and I'd really think about like what it was doing and why I was interested in reading the next chapter. And I kind of did that and time passes, you know, you're young now and you won't be, you know, and that's the thing I discovered is that like, eventually I kind of, after thousands of hours of working on it, I eventually was on the other shore and I was like, well, I made it, you know, and I I have a book and, you know, and there's still things I want to rewrite in the book, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm forcing myself not to rewrite the last third of the book so I can focus on the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, but you know, it's, uh, I I make a lot of TV shows so that they take a lot of my time, unfortunately. How did you, when did you know that you wanted to get into writing? Uh, to be honest, I was, TV was secondary. I always, uh, wanted, I, I was an English major in college uh, and, uh, I studied the classics and literature in high school and I just loved it. I, you know, I thought I was going to go into publishing. I worked for HarperCollins for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into grad film school. And so I kind of started towards the film and TV side of things. And, um, you know, listen, I, you know, I spent how many years writing this book and, you know, it's doing well. I've sold mm-hmm. it's a bestseller, but you know, TV is a, it's a much bigger business and, yeah. and it's quicker and faster pace and creative. So, um, but I always wanted to be a writer. I don't think I ever, I, I knew I always wanted to write a book. Um, my hope is I can retire from TV in the next five to 10 years and then just continue writing. Yeah. Uh, 
because I love it. It's like a playground. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I just enjoy it. I, there's nothing more than I love it. It's a cookie and a coffee and my laptop, you know, um, it's because I, I, for me, writing is like, like when I watch a great film or read a great book and I get to kind of go somewhere else and mm -hmm. be someone else and, you yeah. know, like when yeah, I write like an I, escape I, from reality. Yeah. I had the same experience when I write. So, but I get to create stuff yeah. that I find interesting. So I'm like, oh, I want to, you know, I've always been obsessed with oil rigs as these sort of mythic places, you know? And so I would kind of, and I like the industrial tech side of it. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm thinking about writing this. Yeah, so I got, got lots of. Yeah. Um, what was the favorite aspect of your series or your novel so far? <laughs> My favorite aspect? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you mean like from a process point of view or something inside the book? Either one. Well, I guess I can answer both. So from a process point of view, I enjoyed the most, those moments where I had a very deep understanding of what I was trying to do and was doing at any given point in the book. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, TV is very um, fast paced and it's very driven by committee creative decisions and mm -hmm. there's a lot of it's just there's a lot of people and a lot of decisions and it's a it's a complex multi-headed multi-person thing um whereas i enjoy the solid the quiet solitude of really thinking deeply about things and yeah, it's not a deep book right it's you know it's a yeah. it's a you know creature feature kind of book um but uh but when you're writing even if it's a simple thing like oftentimes you have to really think quite deeply about life and about that so I would say from a process point of view it was when I was really deeply engaged with the act of creation um you know and there's certain chapters I wrote once you know and there are other chapters I probably did 30 passes on you know like like the opening chapter in um you know where uh they're collecting the body parts yeah. I wrote that once and I just cleaned it up and I, you know, and then the, the oil rig chapter, which was always my, used to be my opening chapter. In fact, the very first books I published when I published last August didn't have that um, grave robbing chapter. Yeah. I just loved it. So I, I put it back in. Um, but the, um, uh, yeah. So, so, you know, I have fond memories of just writing a lot of that stuff uh, really from a process point of view, just, I get to just kind of be, it's like my playground. In the book, you know, uh, there are things I'm most proud of, like, you know, the writing or the, yeah. the scene setting. Like, I do love the the, the opening chapters uh, in particular. I, I'm proud of those. There's one chapter that no one ever mentions, mm -hmm. but I... I was so was proud of because so the, the challenge I had in the book was I had these like five characters that all sort of needed to kind of find some inner genius, right? Mm -hmm. The whole point is, are they, are they genius? Yeah. Are they going to live up to their genetic code? Right. So I tried um, to give each one of them. Um, and I paired back a little bit to focus on Alistair, to be honest, but, uh, and milk, but I wanted to give each one of them like a chance to really show they're they're the power of their mind right and uh one of the ones i'm most proud of was figuring out how to have a game of poisons that was scientifically accurate yeah you know, when when uh milk and 
General Ishii face off. And um, I was like, originally it was a different character where I cut out of the book actually. I had a Japanese uh, character uh, based on the founder of Toyota. Uh, Toyota is his name actually. Um, but I had, a, I had too many characters, so I cut him and Charles Darwin out of the book. So I gave that scene to, to Milk because I wanted to really, I, I, she's one of my favorite characters. She's, yeah, actually, she's, she's actually my favorite character. Yeah, uh, she's my favorite character too. So, um, And I, I gave her a lot of the big fireworks scenes because I wanted to really give her, I really wanted to make her really pop. But that one in particular, I'm proud of because I the... Um, the mechanics of like certain poisons, yeah. you know, sort of counteracting other poisons and, and how you could survive that. But the yeah. fact that empathy was the, the trick, right? Like mm -hmm. she knew that there was a certain flower that at the actual survivors of these, um, you know, sort of medical nightmares, mm -hmm. um, you know, unit 731 in Japan and obviously at the Holocaust, these people who were, um, experimented on like the fact that there was this atropine that was actually used mm -hmm. naturally to fight the effects of these things and that she only knew that because she had read survivor stories about it and 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 obviously he wouldn't have studied mm -hmm. that because yeah. he was you know more of a sociopath anyways i was really proud of that <laughs> i was proud of that because i was like yeah. oh it works you know because i it's tough to kind of portray genius in a way that's not just saying they're genius you know, yeah. to try and capture some leap of imagination to kind of encapsulate like what makes it special, you know? And that was the hard thing with Alistair is I obviously needed him to be the core. Yeah. The person who really solves the problem at the end. And that required me kind of mixing, you know, sort of, you know, some sort of passable relative physics in a way that you would buy enough in the context of this, you know, sort of set of set of rules I'm created that made sense, you know, with the wormhole yeah. and all that stuff. So yeah. So those are I think those are the things I'm most proud of. I'm most proud of the fact I have a book. Yeah, yeah. That's a big you know I mean? like it's yeah. It's honestly like it was funny when I read you're the I think the first person who's like dedicated a, a, like a like a I've had the interviews, people reach out to interview and stuff, but I haven't had like a like a podcast review. And that's why I reached out just because I yeah. thought how cool that was but I was saying to my wife I was like it's so funny like I'm an author mm -hmm. I've published a book it's doing well but I'm still like a tv producer who wrote a book you know yeah. so like uh, you know I think once I have a couple more books out I think I'll get over the kind of imposter syndrome I feel oh but. yeah <laughs> character do you relate most to in the twin paradox you know what i you if, if you had to guess who would you say well you don't know me well enough but it's yeah. I'm gonna an answer i'm gonna give you an answer that'll probably surprise you it's leo really it's leo i yeah. always thought i don't know i always kind of like envisioned that you know authors typically see themselves in their characters. So I was thinking maybe like Alice. Yeah, I'm more, I'm more similar to Leo uh, and he's gonna be one of the central characters of my second book um, because I'm exploring a new set of themes. And I'll yeah. tell you about the sequel in a minute, but um, yeah, cause I'm a bit more um, overconfident, 
headstrong sort of, uh, you know, uh, I'll make decisions. I'm, I'm a mix. Like, I, you know, Alistair is a, a bit more kind of passive. Um, and that was a struggle for me because it's yeah. a, it's tough to have a passive main character. You have like self-doubt is a really tough, is a really tough, uh, characteristic of a main character because you want a, a main character who's constantly leaning into the problem and failing mm -hmm. yeah um and someone who has got self-doubt tends to you know kind of do the opposite right mm -hmm. it's not a man of action and, and that's a it was it was a challenge to figure out how to do that leo's a, a kid of action he's a he's a creative he's funny he doesn't take things too seriously and i think people would could sometimes perceive him as a joker, but there's a really deep well there. You know, I didn't explore it too deeply in the book, but I know from what I know of his character and yeah. what I, you know, uh, think of him, I would, I'm actually closer to Leo, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, I make giant reality shows that are ridiculous, right? So um, <laughs> definitely, there's definitely a side of like the, you know, kind of the, the clown. Yeah like me you know he was he was always quick to crack a joke and you know yeah but. i think um i think leah really added the comedy to the novel yeah yeah and then i had to to be honest i paired him back quite a bit in just uh trying to make sure that alistair and milk had enough of uh yeah i didn't want it to be too ensemble even though it is pretty ensemble mm -hmm. so yeah yeah if you were stuck in Cornerstone during a 10 year cycle, what would you do? That's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I think that uh, I would probably uh, find a safe area that can provide food and not move. Yeah, I was gonna say I would probably run and hide. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think I don't think Cornerstone is a place where you want to be exploring, yeah. solving. You know, you want to make sure you can eat and that nothing's yeah. going to eat you, and that you would yeah. you know hold up. You know, that's yeah. kind of how the Nautilus is designed, right? Until obviously the uh, you know the dam gets blown, but mm -hmm. you know, um, and I played with a little bit of that kind of art, you know, hundred year Garden of Eden at the end when you mm -hmm. think they're you know. Uh, I, won't, I won't say what happens in the end in case you have some viewers who, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's probably what I would do. I don't know. It'd be a nightmare, honestly. Cause I, I love the idea of a place that's like dangerous and there's some pretty gnarly stuff in there. That's pretty heavily evolved, but I just yeah. like the idea that it's like an Oak tree, but it can kill you. You know, it's things that seem, yeah. seem reasonable, but they're not like the ferromagnetic ants. Oh, black river. I do love black river. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it, it's cool in theory being there, but when you're actually there, it, it would kind of suck. <laughs> well, you know, the book, like Michael Crichton's books tend to be, they're designed in a very specific way. They're like basically, gee whiz, oh fuck. Every time. There's, you know, sphere, perfect example. There is uh, something underneath the water. It's a spaceship. It's 300 years old. It's an American spaceship fuck so it's like this gee whiz kind of ideas like there's an island there are dinosaurs on the island you can visit the island oh fuck right <laughs> like you know it's so and that's how all of these books are designed they're designed to kind of get into a really amazing kind of thought-provoking idea 
Um, yeah. And I would argue an, a, 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 you know, an island zoo got for dinosaurs is a stroke of genius idea, but, and then, and then, and then the consequences of greed and technological, mm-hmm. uh, um, kind of, you know, pushing the technological bounds um, ends up, you know, unraveling all of that. And that's how yeah. it just puts are all techno fear, techno fear, techno fear, techno fear, you know, same with, um, same with uh, uh, the Andromeda strain, you know, is another one, you know, it's just like that. So how many it's about liar books, like the great train robbery and, you know, disclosure and stuff, which are off, off, uh, off form. So, but yeah, that's how they work. Gee whiz. That'd be fun to go to corn. Yeah, corn yeah. How cool yeah. is that? Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and people, it's funny, you know, like some people, issue with my book is that it's got a lot of different genres and it's got a you know it it, you know it has a lot of different notes to it you know um and the back half is probably all action which is Mm -hmm. very much michael crichton style yeah style you know and by the way like he does it much better than i do but um you know i'm learning right so yeah i definitely think twin paradox was uh was a great example of using a broad spectrum of genres and you know ideas and like combining them together in a way that was cohesive and worked. Yeah, I sort of say that I, you know, you know, and 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 if I, if there's criticism of the book, it's that is that it it wants to be a lot of different things, but you know, weirdly, they're all things that I find interesting, you know, and so I'm kind of the consistent. I'm the genre of me, right? So it's, what <laughs> me. it's like I like. I like action adventure. I like science. I like history. I like comedy, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, I could have written the book that just had the accelerator or I could have written a YA just mm-hmm. about clones or kids that were, and neither book is that interesting to me. Yeah. No, it's the, it's the, yeah. the combination of everything that. Yeah, kind neither of, of them would be the twin paradox. So. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a little batshit, the book. So set in book two is uh, coming along. I'm like 15, 17,000 words into it. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's different too. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, so book one was the, you know, the core question was, do you get to choose who you are? Yeah. And in book two, um, the theme is around, um, faith versus, versus reason, reason mm-hmm. and the importance of belief, uh, and faith in a world driven by reason. So, Um, And rather than exploring, like in book one, I was really heavily exploring evolution and physics. In book two, I'm exploring um, the myth, myth and religion and literature. You know, there's always going to be a very heavy dose of science, um, but there's a bit of a journey to the center of the earth sort of storyline. I'm pulling in Cold War nuclear technology and bunkers, and, and I'm mixing it with the literature of the fantastic. So... Uh, beasts and creatures from throughout literature will start showing up in the book um, not through any magical source or mythical source but through the power of cornerstone and that mm-hmm. type of technology but give you know in someone else's hands you know uh in this case charles darwin um you know uh, a very different t- type of adventure and from the kids point of view they're growing up you know, uh, book one was all about them finding their inner in individual genius, mm-hmm. you know, most, mostly Alistair book two, we'll, I'm going to shatter their friendship. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. 
going to shatter their friendship and the whole world is going to descend upon them because it's been released as to who they are. And they're going to have to, they're going to discover that only together can they, can they um, sort of weather that and then also figure out the mystery of what happened to Leo. Yeah. Leo goes missing in book two. So, um, so there's very, you know, basically the whole book is like find Leo or, yeah, but it's, but it's a story, but Leo style. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there is. Yeah. So, and there's, there's a lot of twists there. That's just the beginning hook. So you're going to see a lot of Leo in the book, but, um, but I'm, I'm simplifying it a bit, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I learned some lessons in writing the book. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, with that in three words, how would you describe divine paradox? That shit crazy. No. <laughs> uh, divine paradox. Um, you know, it doesn't sound very sexy, but in my mind, it's faith versus reason, which uh, I think is most of life. Um, a great summer read, great summer read. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm taking everything I learned in the previous book and, and, yeah. you know, and I want, you know, because the trick to writing sequels yeah. is, uh, is, uh, and movies, it's, uh, you know, from what I, and from what I've learned and watched is I can't, all those, and I've done a lot, I do a lot of sequels in my business. You can't actually do the same thing. You have to create yeah. the same feeling of reading it. So I can't be like, oh, 10 minutes and three, you know, three minutes and 10, yeah. 10 years. And, and then, oh, there's different evolved creatures and they're solving a different, because that actually is not what makes the book special. What makes it yeah. book special is encountering ideas you've never encountered before, mm-hmm. right? You're like, oh, I've never encountered the idea that someone wanted to drain them Mediterranean. Yeah. You know, uh, I've never encountered the idea of compressed time, but just in one location. So it's, so I have to kind of, my goal of the book is to recreate the feeling you had reading the book, which is yeah. being unexpected. I'm sure when it started, you had no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. I was like, what am uh, I reading? But it was really yeah. good. And, so. I, and, I, and I don't, you know, and I didn't reveal much, right? Like my description is just like time's bending. You know, I don't, I don't even mention the kids in the, in the, the book's description. That's a reveal. So I have to do that. That's what I'm doing with book two. I'm trying to come up with a series of stuff that is yeah. surprising, but still that's, lives in the world. Yeah, yeah. that's great though, because you're bringing in new things to a series. Yeah, and I'm also going to bring a little bit more historical fiction. Like I want to spend time with the originals a bit more. So book two, did you see the, did you read the version that had the um, prequel in it? I don't know if I did. Not the prequel. I, I uh, reissued the book, um, I don't know, like two or three months ago, and I put the first, the opening chapters of Divine Paradox. Yeah. Did you see those? I don't think so, because I, um, I got my copy off of NetGalley, so it was an arc, so I don't know whether that was included. Oh, in there. I don't think I had the Divine Paradox at the end of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... so uh, but that starts uh, with Charles Darwin. And I actually gonna, it starts with Charles Darwin the same way I started with Isaac Newton, mm-hmm. book one, but I actually stay with Charles Darwin. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, there's a bit of a counterpoint story going on where you're gonna see the DNA like back yeah. then and in the present day, and you're gonna start to kind of see how that works. But I, I mentioned, I was kind of itching to write a historical fiction novel. Um, in general. And so I just thought, well, I, I have a book that can handle it. So I'm going to have yeah. uh, 
I'm gonna tell a whole section of the story back in the 1800s as well. So give me some time travel. It's crazy. You know, yeah. it's like, you know people either love it or they don't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah well, I'm well, excited for that. I've been waiting. <laughs> I, I have a lot, honestly. I'm glad I finally got this little office because I, you know, I gotta, and my goal is to, uh, right now it's going on sale January 31st. So I have a pretty yeah. busy fall ahead of me. Yeah. So. Luckily, I'm not filming now until. Well, I'm about to find out in 20 minutes uh, <laughs> yeah. about whether or not uh, I'll be filming in September, but I'm hoping I don't film until Christmas or after. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Anyways. Yeah. Um, and I have one final question. So yeah. what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Um, well, uh, I'm still an aspiring author, so... Uh, <laughs> Say, uh, I would say uh, I'm with you, but I would I would honestly say uh, go slow and study study every aspect of the type of book you want to write. Now you're gonna my book is I would argue wildly original. It's very it's yeah. very different. Yeah. It's very it's nothing you know it's it feels like Michael Crichton because there's a lot of Michael Crichton stuff, but I don't think anyone would read my book and be like, oh, I've read this before. Yeah. Right? There's a lot um, of aspects that are familiar, but not the yeah, exact same. Yeah. And I would say study. Uh, it's funny. I wrote to Herman Woke, who wrote um, Winds of War. It's a book. I love that book. It's about a World War II. It's about a family that sent to the four corners of the world during World War II. And through their experience, you see the whole war. Um, I wrote him after reading that book, and I asked him the same question. And he said in an incredibly literate way, <laughs> play the sedulous ape. To the, to the authors you admire, you know, the greats, Tolstoy, you know, he listed a bunch of authors and stuff, but he basically said what I'm saying, which is really study what you want to do. Like actually just spend the time and break it down and think about it and see how long the chapters are and how many characters and all those little details are what makes a book have a genre and have a POV and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then first thing is, is then you'd be amazed, you know, you know, water, you know, water wears away mountains. And I didn't have a timeline. It took me, I mean, I first came up with the idea in 2005 and I published it in 2020. Now I didn't take 15 years to write it. There were whole years where I did nothing, but if you just chip away a little bit every day and you just be patient, you know, we all have jobs, day jobs, um, but, you know, it, as it, it doesn't pay incredibly well, even if you're successful and, writing books you know you can get lucky and become one of the huge ones but but if you just chip away and really love it you know um and and then don't rush it to market you'll be tempted to rush it to market and it won't be good enough for market you really yeah. really need to pay for professional editing multiple times multiple and i i was a good writer i went to yale i, was a, I would argue a yeah. great writer I could, still like the mistakes i made were pretty numerous and um, and how quickly I got it out there to the few important people that I knew. So I would, I would argue just need a development editor. He's the one who tells you about character, story, plot, theme. And after that, you need to get a copy editor and they're going to fix your grammar, your POV, your sentence structure. It's going to make sure it reads professionally. And once you've all done that, do it again, honestly. <laughs> and then after that, you don't touch it and then you have a proofread and they'll make sure yeah. they'll do it again and they'll make sure your facts are accurate. But the editing matters because God knows 
single, single, I still get hit. Like, you know, someone read 400 pages of like, you know, a decade's worth of work. And, you know, mm -hmm. the only thing to comment on is, you know, some little mistake on page 312. So the books are held to a very high standard. So um, it's important that you get that stuff right in the end. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you love, make the book you run or write, you know? So and then people will, you know, when you get to do little interviews. Yeah. Thank you up. so much for coming on here with me and like reaching out. <laughs> uh, and thank you for getting out there and like sharing your love of books. You know, I, you know, it's my, it's my great love and my boys uh, are big readers. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And reach out, you know, the thing is to reach out to authors you like more often than not, you know, it's an opportunity. Like if two of your readers mm -hmm. read the book, you know, it's a, a chance to get two more readers, but mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a, it's fun to talk about stuff you love. So you should, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you do some great reviews. So you should. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah. Just email them. They'll say yes. You know, I get a couple of requests every so often and I'm always happy to do it. So reminds me why I do it, you know, cause when you write a book, you just put it out, um, you know, you just put it out in the world. So yeah. What was your favorite part of the book? I want to interview you now. Maya. What was <laughs> your think, favorite part of the book? I think the world building was definitely my favorite part. Just the way um, the sciencey parts where um, it was, it was just excellent. The way you brought everything together to create this world that the kids have to navigate. So yeah. One of my, uh, one of my little favorite scenes, uh, and it, it's very like Jurassic Park, and I put it there for a reason, was when they use all the drone technology to explore mm -hmm. the world, you know? Yeah. And it's one of my favorite world building moments, because like, oh, let's enjoy the beauty of this before we eat, you know, have things try yeah, to eat. Get eaten by giant chickens. <laughs> someone, that made someone so angry. One of the reviews was like, Joseph Stalin on a giant chicken, chicken, I was out. And I'm like, I love Joseph <laughs> Stalin on a giant chicken. I don't <laughs> know what you're doing. <laughs> It's like, you know, we're just why are you complaining you about that? Yeah, like, <laughs> I know. I remember when I hit moments like that, I'm like, am I really going to put Joseph Stalin on a giant chicken? And I'm like, I look around, I'm like, well, no one's why not. <laughs> I dig that stuff. You know, I love those, uh, you know, those old Sinbad movies, you know, that uh, Harry uh, Ray Harryhausen would do with the stop motion animation of the Cyclops. And I used to watch those as a kid on the weekends, you know, and I used to love those things. So. Yeah. You know, it's so fun writing. It really is. I'm so excited about my little office. <laughs> so, but I, you know, try not to make too much TV. I know TV sounds exciting, but it's not nearly as exciting as writing books. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it's a lot of work, you know? Wow. Well, yes. Yeah. So I am doing, uh, and the book was optioned as well. So maybe I'll be, maybe that'll be a bit more fun. Yeah. I actually heard um, the twin paradox, um, that cook acquired the rights to make it a movie so it did. yeah 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 we've started working on it so uh and i'm not actually it's funny even though i'm like i i mostly do big competition shows right so i'm not like a big mm -hmm. fancy scripted tv producer um but i'm i'm keeping an eye on it but i'm not driving the process because yeah. dick really is i mean he he greenlit pirates of the caribbean he greenlit toy story when he was running yeah. Disney. so i'm kind of enjoying watching him Put together the whole thing so mm -hmm. we'll see i you know i'm a bit jaded because i've done a lot of tv and film and sometimes it could take a lot longer than you yeah. expect but um you know someday yeah yeah but that's exciting too
So yeah. All right. Well, I don't know how many viewers and listeners you have, but hopefully I'll <laughs> give uh, give me a shot and check out the book. Yeah. Thank you for coming on here. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, make sure you check out The Twin Paradox and look for its sequel um, in January. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. The thank podcast. you. So, yeah. Yeah. Have a great day. Great. You too. All right. Bye, Maya. Bye. And that is the end of my chat with Charles Wachter about his novel, The Twin Paradox. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please check out my blog, Maya's Reviews, at mayogreviews.wordpress.com. And make sure you check out Charles Vachter's site, um, The Twin Paradox, and Divine Paradox in the description. You can pre-order Divine Paradox right now, so. Um, and you can also find me at Maya the Bookworm on Twitter, Goodreads, TikTok, BookBub, and Book Sirens. I'm also on Tumblr at Maya Reviews. If you want me to review your book or even just want to reach out to me, you can email me at MayaGBookReviews at gmail.com. I do ask that if you are reaching out in regards to a review request, interview, author chat, discussion, or anything of the sort, that you check out my review policy or publicity requests on my blog first, then email me. Thank you for listening, and happy reading. And thank you so, so much, Charles Wachter, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and it was nice talking with you. Thank you.